Hey now, and welcome to the City Off Campus with your two favorite hosts, Sammy Sommerfeld and Jack McFarland. Well, first, before we dive into a lot of Chicago sports talk and a lot of Iowa sports talk that we have to get off our chest, just want to um, talk to you for a minute about Good Pods. Um, with all of you who are in Chicago, Iowa, all over the Midwest, New York, our listeners everywhere in cold weather who have to tolerate this awful winter in the height of a pandemic, I want to ask you a quick question. Have you heard of Good Pods if you have not listened to a recent episode? Um, we recently got on it and just wanted to talk to you about it. It's an app where you follow friends and influencers to see what podcasts they're listening to. So for all of you who spend too much time searching around trying to find a new show, this will solve all your problems. Picture Instagram or Twitter, but just for podcasts. Just download Good Pods from the App Store or Google Play Store and invite your friends and go follow each other today. Um, don't forget to follow Jack and I. I'm at Sammy Sommerfeld and Jack is at Jack McFarland. You can stay up to date with our podcast, The City Off Campus, um, but I love to give and get recommendations for other shows too. I'd love to see what other shows you guys listen to. And remember, go download Good Pods and the link and information will be featured on all of our platforms in the description below. So Jack, let's dive into it. Let's first talk about how Iowa was in the Music City Bowl. Then it was maybe they'll be in the Music City Bowl. And now they're out of the Music City Bowl. Thoughts? Well, to anybody that follows um, the Barstool Iowa account on Twitter, they clearly saw how upset I was when I saw the news. Uh, I saw an article floated on Twitter saying it's highly unlikely that it'll happen. And I re responded with a what the fuck. And then I got another confirmation that it was actually canceled. And then Mizzou fans started to act like they were upset about the game being canceled. Look, here's the situation at hand. Mizzou had a game made up with Mississippi State like December 13th or 15th or whatever. They are having COVID contact tracing that is stemming from then. So that is 10 days, a week and a half before Christmas. They sent their players home for Christmas break and everything and brought them back Christmas night. <laughs> Plenty of time for COVID or something just to like any cases. And Iowa, on the other hand, Kirk Ferentz tested positive um, right before Christmas and the team shut down all physical activities and then they resumed them just recently. Saturday. Yeah. And they never went home for Christmas. They stayed at school, stayed in their dorms, played it safe, and they were ready to go. Spencer uh, Petras tweeted, like, we want to play this game. We stayed at school. Well, obviously, Mizzou didn't want the game because they sent their players home took on the risk of letting COVID spread like that and then brought them all back and said, oh, shit, we can't play a game. Sorry. Like, what the f – that is the most, like, in my opinion, so selfish to do as a program. If you're the coach – I don't even know what the coach's name is. Who fucking cares? Who cares? It's Mizzou. The guy sent his players home during contact tracing for COVID and brought them back expecting them to be okay five days before a bowl game. No. Like, that's complete horseshit. I can't it, – it is so selfish and ignorant and just the fact that this this Hawkeye team, which has faced, I'd say, the most adversity than any Hawkeye team in, I, I'm sure, a lot of Hawkeye fans' memories, 
They started 0-2 against two very bad teams and then went on a six-game run and won every rivalry game, won every trophy. They have a top-10 defense in the nation and a quarterback that's finally, like, getting comfortable and everything. They have great weapons offensively, and they're not allowed to showcase what they've really put together on a national stage. It's shitty. Like, it's really shitty. There's there's no other way to put it. It's just – I, I, I was at a loss of words, and I and I blatantly just tweeted at Barcelona Mizzou, fuck you. I was like, this is yep. so stupid that we don't have a game, really. I was, I was Now, I, I don't want people to take this out of context. I'm not shaming Mizzou for COVID or anything, but the way they handled everything, I am shaming. Yeah, well, so first, Kirk Ferentz has said this is one of his best teams ever. He's personally felt. And people have been comparing on Twitter to this being the 04 team, 08, like just some great defensive teams. So that group of guys, you know, Neiman, we we, will no longer have a Neiman on our defense next year. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, Brandon Smith was going to play. He's gone. Like Keith Duncan, Iowa legend, like he's gone. Amir Amir wasn't going to play though. Um, No, right. Davion, Chauncey Goldston. Uh, like so many guys and they won't have one last game and also too we have won our last six straight games it would have been nice to win one more and then show that we really were a better team than what our record showed after only losing by a margin of five points between the northwestern game and the purdue game early in the season with a brand new quarterback who didn't have any early games to just get the jitters out but you look at mizzou first of all they're in the SEC, but not really. If anybody said to said to uh, you know, somewhat, you know, if you went to the Mizzou They're campus and said, "Hey, team," <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, if you said to a Mizzou student who just showed up on campus, who you know, let's be real, if you go to Mizzou, you're not a real sports fan. Like that's just that's just how it is. If you said to them, "What conference are we in?" I guarantee you, it's Big Twelve or like MAC or something. Like they have no clue because they play like a MAC team. So one, they're not a real SEC school. Two, let's be real. What does Mizzou ever have to play for? They, to me, okay, this is my comparison for Mizzou. And you can tell me if you see this or not. Disregarding Indiana football's one season, their fluke season this year in the midst of a pandemic aside, they're the, they're the IU football of the SEC, where you can go in normally, beat them down, Know that it's an easy game, and let's make this clear too. Indiana students will confess this. I have heard this from many Indiana students. They tailgate, then go home and take a nap. They don't care about the football. If you watch IU football last year when there were fans, it looked like this year. Empty. Student section, empty. That's what Mizzou is. If you look at Mizzou and you watch their games, they have that green student lawn. It's like a spring training baseball stadium. That's what I related to. It's empty. Like, even that, like, you could just go hang out on the grass, have a beer with your friends, whatever. Like, it's so chill. It's Mizzou. Like, they know they're going to lose the game. And that's always empty. So, really, let's be real. It's going to basically be like an opening, like, training season for our guys who are going into the NFL just to display what they had, make one more final statement, and then close up shop for the year. That's all it was going to be. So I'm pissed we don't have a game. But at the same time, it would have really sucked if one of the guys got injured playing Mizzou. 
that's you know one yeah. the, i'm trying to look at the positives here it would have really yeah. sucked if it's like brandon smith got hurt and then you know combines messed up and everything down the road there but yeah i also was, think the hawks got, they got absolutely gypped out of a good bowl game like playing oh, yeah. in this this fucking i don't even know the name of this but the music city, music what, city bowl. whoever sponsors it now i don't care i know like they shouldn't be in that game I well, I don't get why they're playing a five and five or whatever the fuck Mizzou is a five hundred, like bottom of the barrel SEC team. I'm gonna tell you why Mizzou even got a bowl game because this is the one year where any team could get an invite to a bowl game. There were no restrictions. Yeah, but, and then, hold on. Speaking of that, and then somehow Army, who was like eight and two, just didn't did, get yeah, a bowl didn't game. get a bowl game. Yeah, that was, was ridiculous. That was that, that's got to be a war crime to not give a. a, a for real a bowl game when they're better than 75 percent of the rest of the country for real but i have a little bit of beef with the hawk shop right now because i was going to go online yesterday because i thought about this you have very few times like you know how they make like the championship t-shirts for like the for each super bowl team and only one of the teams you know actually wins so you get to buy the shirts and then the other ones get sent to like africa and china africa yeah (laughs) Yeah, well, I was hoping that after the bowl game was canceled, the Hawk Shop would still have the Music City Bowl shirts up because I was going to cop one. So then you could be that one guy that oh, says, yeah. I have a Music something. City Bowl shirt. Yeah. And so they had it up there all displayed, looking beautiful. I go to click on it. Sorry, everything's taken down. You cannot access this site. And I was so bummed because I was just like, they have to have a supply left. Like, before it gets sent to Africa, I will pay anything to have that Music City Bowl shirt. It would just be an amazing story to tell. Like yeah. people will say, wait, I didn't play in a bowl game that year. Well, funny story about that. And then you can dive into it. And then it's a way you can always beat down Mizzou. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, like, I didn't really do a whole lot of soul searching when looking at Mizzou before this bowl game, but like, I'm pretty sure the best player on their team was a kicker. So, and I feel like that was confirmed when Keith Duncan liked one of my tweets when I said Mizzou's kicker is the best player. That means Keith probably agrees that Mizzou's kicker is their best player. But in all seriousness, they're terrible. That was a bad team. And I don't know why the hell Iowa was matched up against them. It was disrespectful. And a lot of Mizzou fans were like, oh, Iowa fans are getting all butthurt because they think they're not going to be able to play in a Wednesday morning game and fucking whatever. Dude, it's the principle of not being able to play a bowl game when your final regular season game was canceled. You would like one last chance to like actually play because preparing for a team and then having that canceled sucks. Doing it twice sucks even more. So, you know, Iowa got absolutely shafted. The, thing, the absolute I, yeah. worst way for this season to end. I think the best case scenario would have been if we had had just one game canceled, I would have played the Michigan game at Kinnick, just put a nail in Jim Harbaugh's coffin, just yeah. like nail it in there. Yeah. And then all the guys got one more win at Kinnick. Everybody plays. I think Amir would have played in that game. And then, you know, if the bowl game was canceled, I think beating Michigan at home is a great way to end that season for the seniors. Like, you know, we had Keith Duncan on and he talks about kicking that game winner against Michigan, his Mm -hmm. like freshman or sophomore year. And I think for those guys, it'd be such a full circle moment to have that be like the start of their career and then end it with a win at Michigan at home. 
Yeah, I I guess all we can really hang our hats on now is Iowa basketball. And yep. e- even recently, that's been a little shaky. I mean, granted, Gonzaga is hands down, bar none, the best team in the country. Iowa saw that. They didn't hit their shots when they lost to Whoa. Gonzaga. But, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to beat Gonzaga this year. I think when March Madness comes around, it's March Madness. So I think anything can happen there. And I regular think, season, I'll say Gonzaga goes think, undefeated. Yeah, I think regular season. I mean, also too, if you look at the conference they're in, I mean, it's a exactly easy, exactly. easy blueprint for them to get there. But um, the thing with that game, before we go into the Minnesota game and all that stuff, is with the Gonzaga game, they did something I didn't think any team could do to us this year, which was. Keep in mind, Luca put up 30 and 10, so they didn't slow him down by any means. But there were times where he was less efficient at important points of the game where they really were able to make stops or really make decent plays on him. But they were able to stop all of our shooters. Just slow, Like, our shooters had open shots. They were just missing. Yeah. But Gonzaga just wore us down on defense. Like, Jalen Suggs has a motor, unlike any guy I've seen in college basketball this year in terms of being that type of athlete, I think Luca is the best long-term motor where he just gets better and better throughout the game. But Jalen Suggs from start to finish didn't look worn down at all. And it's just when you're able to slow down Luca a little bit where there's just any doubt that we can feed him in the paint or feed him in the post when, you know, our shooters aren't hitting stuff and our shooters lose confidence, they beat us in a way I didn't think we could get beat. Because I thought the only way – I thought we were just so lethal, and I think we still are with the idea of you can feed Luca or a guy like Jack Nunji or whatever in the paint, but then one of our shooters has to be open at all times. There's no in-between, where if you're doubling Luca, whatever, somebody's always open. Or if you choose to guard the shooters, Luca's going to beat you down in the paint. And they were able to slow us down. Like, I think in the first – was it the first half where Luca was, like, only – he only made, like – five or was that the minnesota game i'm thinking of where he only had like five points in the first half or something or like no, 10 bo- points both games he, he was kind of slow to start yeah and i i guess we have to curb our expectations because he he would hang 35 points in the first half against like southern U, and it's like yeah southern U, who has their tallest right. players six five so i i guess we have to curb our expectations but yeah luca luca did it did seem like he needed to kind of feel it out a lot. I don't, know, I don't know how to word it. He really needed to feel out Gonzaga and Minnesota more so than his first four or five games. I don't even know if they've played four or five games up until then. But point being, like, Luca just did not seem completely comfortable. And it seemed like maybe he was pressing because he was super hot and he wanted to keep that hot hand rolling. But, I mean... I, I just took a second to look up Jalen Suggs because you, you just alluded to him, and I think that guy is an absolute stud. So he's from the state of Minnesota, which I yep. did not know. And, and Iowa offered him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hold on. Most sports. As a junior, he at quarterback, he led his team to a state championship, was a dual threat, and had offers to Ohio State, Iowa State, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska. His senior year, he was named Minnesota Mr. Football. He was the first athlete in Minnesota history to win Mr. Basketball and Mr. Football in the same year. What the fuck? That's so good. Like, yeah, he's 6'4", 200, playing quarterback, 
and he's the best two guard in the country. Yeah. We talk about a guy like Tyler Cook, who basically, in my opinion, is in the NBA because he's just an athlete. Like, that's the only reason why he's in it. Like, yeah. you know, I, I don't think he's anything that special. Um, you know, even when he played for Iowa, I thought he shouldn't have been the center point of our offense. But then you compare it to a guy like Jalen Suggs, who's just an athlete, but then he's a talented basketball player, too. And you saw what he could do against us. Like, he just set the tone of that game so early, and he made a few defensive plays, too, where he was able to steal the ball at, like, half court and then just, you know, go in for dunks. Like, just single-handedly, like, dismantled us at certain points of the game. But the optimist in me does see that, you know, we had a lot of open shots and they just didn't fall where we were in that game. I mean, we, you know, the score says we lost by 11. It was wider margins at different points of the game, but like, you know, I think it's a game where if we played it again, it would be played very differently. But I think one thing too, that led to some discomfort in our offenses when Luca's passing the ball out to Joe, to Jabo, to CJ or whatever, and their shots aren't falling. I'm not saying he lost confidence in them in any way, but I think there's a sense to a, a higher urgency where he thinks he has to take over yeah. more than he needs to. And keep in mind, he put up 30 and 10 amazing game. Like he's going to be the national player of the year, hands down. Like nobody's doing what he's doing, but when you feel like, okay, these guys are all cold. Like it's one thing if, you know, one guy's cold and you have a few other guys that can back him up, but when everybody's just not making anything, they're just ice cold. What do you do? Like, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, feel confident that you guys can um, decrease margins or make any type of comeback if, you know, CJ makes a three one minute and then the next four threes the team shoots are all awful, like way off the board. And when you have Luca as the only guy in the paint getting rebounds and he's getting double teamed and those shots aren't falling – you know, Gonzaga, there's, there's not a there's whole nothing lot you can, can do because no. then Gonzaga picks up in transition and gets an easy bucket. They, I, I saw a stat. I, I briefly looked at the Gonzaga Virginia game this past weekend, and um, they had a stat when it was like fucking thirty-five to two. I, that game got really out of hand really quickly, but yeah, they, they were showing the points per game for Mark Few's teams the past three years, and I'm not kidding. Two years ago. 96 points last year 98 points this year same thing it's like these guys are scoring at an nba pace they're playing yep. with an nba pace if you don't play your a game you're going to lose by 10 period like that's yep. that is an assurance you will not beat gonzaga plus that um not even drew timmy he's good Suggs is sick yeah that that Corey kispert guy yep. is unreal Yep. He is so underrated, I think. That guy, I, he's what you want in a player. Like, he is all energy. He made, like, eight threes the other day against Virginia, and he's got sick hair and wears a headband. So I know. he's swagged out the whole time, and he can throw it out. <laughs> so I, I don't think – I don't think – I mean, granted, Gonzaga is in, like, the, the Western Athletic Conference or whatever the f- – Frickin yeah. I don't even know. Best team they'll play all year is St. Mary's, maybe Pepperdine. <laughs> but Pepperdine is just going for the beach vacation. <laughs> Gonzaga is in a league of their own. And I mean, it, at least that game for Iowa fans was a lot more manageable than the Minnesota one because 
Iowa looked like they were in a food coma that whole game. Maybe not in the the second half. They looked a little better, and at the end of the first, they were looking good. At the end of the first, they end of the her, yeah end of the five. first, they were like, "Wow, we aren't going to lose by twenty. We might lose by five. And then they took them to OT because they blew their lead in the second half. Look, that game got me all sort of flustered. That we found a way to let Minnesota back in the game. Like, why didn't they? I don't know the exact sequence or time on the clock, but. They should have fouled Marcus Carr, I'm pretty sure, instead of letting him shoot a three. Yeah, so. And I was like, and the whole time, I'm like, we have we have the ability to take two instead of three and win. What are we doing? I have never yelled at a TV more in 2020 than I did in that game. Now, keep in mind, we didn't have March Madness. I probably would have been yelling at it a lot more then than even the other day. But. I felt like I was sitting at Carver, even though it was in Minnesota. I felt like I was at Carver sitting front row with the boys and just yelling at Fran. Like that, one of my favorite pastimes was when Fran would make stupid decisions like that. And, you know, everybody would just chew him out at the end of the game. And it's the most frustrating thing. All my group chats with my friends from Iowa who are dire basketball fans, you know, we're blowing up, you know, so frustrated with Fran because that's a coaching thing right there. Yeah. How do you not tell him, okay, Carr was electric that game. He had 25 or something before that play, I think. And he was making everything just he's unbelievable. He's taking step back and, threes for fun. And, <laughs> going, and going into that game, he's um, behind Luca. He's like fourth in the country in points per game right now. Mm-hmm. He's scoring at an insane rate too. I think he was averaging 22 or 25 a game at that point. And so you have a guy like that. And keep in mind, they had that transfer kid, like the um, the um, fifth year senior or whatever, who went to some smaller school, who made like twenty that game too. He had the long hair. Oh, Brandon I, I Johnson. Yeah, and he was like scoring insane too. But Carr has the ball in his hands with you know a little bit of time left in the game. You know he's gonna shoot the three, take the two. Okay, then you're they're down by one. They're gonna foul us. Put CJ, put Jabo, put Luca, whoever Literally to the put line. Put Jabo. That's the best thing he can do is shoot a free right, throw. Right. Put whoever to the line. We'll make another two. If we're up by three again, they're either gonna have barely any time left or no time left to really get a real shot in. Yeah. And then if they make it, then we go into overtime. At least we made the right play. But instead, oh, go shoot. You know what? Because this is what it reminded me of. It reminded me of. <clears throat> this is one of those moments where. I thought Fran wanted to test our defense in a time where they shouldn't have been tested. He should have made the right coaching call because Luca, everybody this year has been, I've been impressed by Luca's defense. I mean, he's getting like a block every game. I've been really impressed by how he's stepped it up because he fell short last year on the defense end of the ball. And our team by any means is still not a defensive team. I think it's gotten better, but it's still not where it should be. If you want to win a national title, I thought it's going to get better as big 10 play goes about, but Fran was like, you know what, our defense—we're going to win a championship, so our defense has to be tested right here. Like, we need to show everybody right here that our defense is up to par to win a title. Where instead, he should have said, you know what, I know we're weak, where our offense is electric, but let's take the foul, let's trust our offense, let's get the ball in their hands again, and let's seal this game up. Instead of saying, oh yeah, you know what, guys, like you guys have such a long proven track record of being a defensive team in big 10 play, especially on the road. Like 
I was I had flashbacks to Purdue last year when we played him on the road. We got blown out, and he kept trying to trust the defense. And we're like, the chains are not moving. We're down by 15 here. Our defense is awful. And then it's just I I felt like we were having flashbacks to the last two seasons where, you know, our offense is electric. They pick it up, and then when the defense needs to step it up, they fall short. And it happens on the road every year. And I'm honestly a little worried about what's going to happen on the road. Cause I think at home we'll have no problems. Like last year we lost one game at home. It was the last year, March 3rd to Purdue. It was the final home game of the year. It was our only home loss. We were unbelievable at home. But when it came to the road, we lost a ton of road games. That's where we were screwed. And that's where we were going to be like a seven seed instead of like a three or four seed in the NCAA tournament. So it's just, it's just the same stuff. It's like our team looks better. We thought it's better. But really, I feel like it's the same old habits that haven't been broken. The thing I do like about this team, though, is you see guys like um, Patrick McCaffrey and Keegan Murray, two Keegan Murray's bodies. my dude this year. Keegan Murray's an animal, but Pat McCaffrey, too. They're just bodies. Like You don't see yep. big bodies like that come off the bench and contribute. Now, Pat is a little uh, raw. I guess you could say he needs a little more work and time to get comfortable. But he's going to get that time. Dude, he's going to yam one on someone, and he's going to put that poster up inside a Carver one day. Um, the other guy I, I'm in love with who needs to stop shooting three-pointers is Nunji. Jack Nunji yep. is going to play in the NBA one day, but he will not be shooting three-pointers in the NBA. Like, that guy – he, he he's like a 10% three point shooter and he's pulling them up at the key every time. Like, I don't like it. I don't. What, what I like about Nunji is if we would have had him last year, it would have given Luca that time to rest. And we would have, our think, I think it would have made our defense so much better last year, but this year he adds a whole other dimension to the team because we can now have two bigs with our three shooters with Nunji and Luke on the floor. If we need to take Luca out, we have Pat McCaffrey, Keegan, or Nunji all on the floor at the same time, like two out of the three of them. And the thing with Keegan Murray that has shocked me is how good he's been because I was one of the biggest skeptics of the Murrays going in just because I felt that they basically got an offer to go to Iowa because they're local guys and because their dad played yeah. for Iowa. And that's, that it's was like gonna the be Ma- McCaffrey route almost. I thought they were basically going to just sit on the bench all year. Like, yeah. I mean, not even all year. I thought maybe the next three to four years, they were going to be guys on the bench and, you know, Perkins and those kids were going to really come up. But Keegan Murray is going to be the defensive piece we need to make a run. He gets a block when we need a block. He makes a stop when we need a stop. He's, He's Mr. Hustle. On the floor. He is He's Mr. Fearless. Hustle. And, like, I think the biggest thing that helped him was, not like, you know, I – my condolences to Nunji still and everything that happened with him. But with Nunji being away from the team those first early games and Murray got meaningful minutes with that yeah. first that first team group. He was expected to be a body because that's what Nunji was when he's in to come in, get boards, put contested shots, whatever. And that's what Keegan did. He came in and, and he did gets everything. a bucket when we need a bucket. Mm-hmm. Like the thing is him, Con- you know, Connor McCaffrey two years ago, everybody hated on Connor because they're like, he can't shoot a three ball. He's he a glue point. guy, man. He, that's he is, all he is. He is the coach on the floor. He he is the best vision. He knows the game better than anybody He's on that team. He's a hell of a passer, too. 
the I mean, he led the NCAA in pass to turnover ratio last yeah. year or assist to turnover ratio, and he's doing it again. I he's gonna do it again this year. Yeah. The way he passes the ball, you know, it, it frustrates me sometimes still when the defense leaves him open at the three line and he has an open three, but he can't shoot it. But the thing about him is he knows his role. Last year, too, he used to take threes that were so unnecessary, like, they, you know, air balls off the rim, everything, just awful shots. Now he finds the open guy. He makes two to five points a game, doesn't try to do much offensively there, but he makes plays. Yeah, like, he, I look at him. 4.6 4. assists and three rebounds. <laughs> I look at him as rookie year Lonzo Ball, where Lonzo Ball did yeah. not do anything offensively, but yeah. he racked up assists a game. Yeah. Assists and stops. Mm-hmm. And th- we need guys like that, because if everybody thought they could shoot the ball like Steph, then we're screwed. We're screwed there. So when we have guys like Keegan and that, it's very positive. But I think the biggest thing is Jabo needs to hit his shots. And Jabo, the thing that frustrates me about Jabo, it was fun against the shitty teams we played where he was shooting NBA threes. He keeps shooting NBA threes yeah, as open shots when he has the college three open. Yeah. And I think he's only doing it to try to show scouts that he can make it. But we don't need him to do that. We need him to shoot the closer shot because if he would have shot them, they'd go in. Yeah. It's yeah, so frustrating. He's, he's he's definitely I mean, I hate I hate being the guy that like poops on college kids, but he has been underwhelming this year. He has been underwhelming. He and shot he, like twenty five percent or something. So good. He's like shooting like twenty five percent. Pretty sure oh God, which game was it? Was it I don't know if it was Gonzaga or Minnesota, but he he just made a couple rough decisions and just did not look good. I don't know which one it was, but again, I don't like being the guy that hates on college kids, but still, he's been underwhelming for a fifth-year guy. Um, Joe Toussaint has been amazing. Toussaint needs to play more instead of Bohannon. Like, that guy cool. can create his own shot and create opportunities for people. He is so quick with the ball. So I quick. I call him the energizer bunny because he just has so much energy he brings to the floor where he makes the defense to stop when we need him to make a defense to stop. He picks up the pace of the team. Like they just play faster with him. They did yeah. it last year too when Jabo was out. And Tucson, his biggest thing is he just sometimes forces the shots that he doesn't need to take instead of finding the open man. But the thing with him is I think there's going to be a point in this Big Ten season, if Jabo keeps shooting poorly, Fran's going to say, okay, Joe, you're starting because you're going to you know, pick. Because the thing is, Luca heats up as the game goes on. It's one of my favorite things about him. But it also sometimes is our biggest enemy when we play teams like Minnesota where we start getting down by a lot and we have to pick up. Like, you know, we have to try to get, you know, pick up, you know, after being down by a lot. But if we were able to have Joe, Jabo come off the bench and have Joe have that early pace where we're just, you know, finding Luca down low, easy buckets, easy buckets, easy buckets, you know, have a little bit more of a transition game going. Jabo can come in, lead that second team and just drain threes, just mm-hmm. knock threes down, just choke, like just stuff it down people's throats. Yeah. But I just don't, you know, the thing is, will Fran have the balls to say to Jabo, you're running second team as a fifth year senior. Nah, that's the thing. Nah, and I don't, it's I don't see it. and it's hard too because like people um look at Jabo as like you know everybody looks at him for the clutch plays he's made and I love Jabo for it, but I don't think I think in the tournament he could be that guy that makes some clutch shots, 
I think Wieskamp's the guy. Wieskamp and CJ are the guys to make those shots for us this year. And I think there just has to be a point where Fran's like, okay, give those two the rock. Like, give yeah. them the ball. Because with Wieskamp, he's so lengthy and big that if he doesn't have the open three now, he's made, he's turned his game from freshman year. He was a three point shooter. That's all I saw him as last year. He was kind of transitioning into the guy he is now this year. He's that guy that can drive in, make a bucket and get to the line. And we need guys like that at the end of the game to be taking those type of shots. And when he doesn't have that, he can pass it out to CJ for an open three. And I just don't see where Jabo fits there at the end of the game. Cause I think Toussaint too, if we're down by five with a minute left to go, Toussaint can bring the ball down the floor a lot faster than Jabo ever could. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, yeah, I think going forward, this team, like after just wrapping all this up, like I think this team is at a minimum a Sweet Sixteen team. Now, if they can shore up defensively a lot of things, that's what'll get them Elite Eight, Final Four. But they are like. Creener came on and said last year they were sweet, sweet 16 or bust. I, I think that's the same expectation this year, but there is an extra emphasis the, for the entire team just on defense. They need yeah. to get stops. And you, you didn't see that against Minnesota. You didn't really see that against Gonzaga. So granted, they got a lot of games left to shore everything up, but I think this team's going to be fine going forward. It's, it's nice to say you have something to complain about with a good Iowa Hawkeye basketball team. I know. Cause you never, really, you, you never really see that. I mean, we're lucky. Cause think about this. Like even if next year, God forbid, our sports are awful. We've had multiple years now where we've had a ranked Iowa basketball team and a ranked Iowa football team. And like, think about it, We had Cyrus Tay on the podcast earlier this year. They were not pr- they were not a pretty team back in 07, 06, 05. So for us to have, you know, this type of our problems to complain about where, you know, we're relevant on a national stage, you know, I'm happy with that. You know, I'm very grateful. But I think if this defense just to wrap up, just to if they picked it up a little bit, just a little bit, just got two or three more stops a game, I think that's the difference between the lead eight and final four. Because I, I think our offense, honestly, can, I, I look at Kentucky teams that were, like, with Booker and stuff that were just offensive, like, phenomenons where they just had offense, where I think we can do that and get to an Elite Eight, but I think anything more than that, the defense needs to step up. Um, and one one last thing before um, we transition. So, Iowa, what was Iowa last in the college football rankings? Like, what were they, like, 16, 15? We're 15 right now. All right. They are the only team, only program, only school. My friend told me this. It could still be true. I don't know if it's right anymore. But they're the only program with a top 15 football team and men's basketball team. No one else has that right now. And I, the only team that could give us a run for it is Texas because they are 10 in basketball right now. Where's Ohio State? Ohio State is uh, for basketball. 23rd. They're, they're bottom. Okay. Okay. So I, I was on the up and up, baby. Uh, North Carolina, but they're a little low. But still, that just shows Iowa athletics don't fuck with them. And the, off of that, too, everybody gives Iowa crap 
for not getting like huge, crazy recruits like the Jalen Suggs of the world for football or whatever. We develop our guys, and mm-hmm. this season defines that. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at Davion Nixon, you look at Luca, you look at CJ, you look at Joe. Like, we get the three stars, we turn them into five stars by the time they're done at Iowa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just goes to the coaching staffs where that's not an easy thing to do. You look at the pits where, you know, they have Jeff Capel who came from Duke was a big time recruiter, whatever he's landing quote unquote, four stars, five stars, but here they are, they're losing to teams like St. Francis to start their year. So I always say the ranking doesn't matter. It's the development and you know, where they go in the team culture and Iowa has it, especially after everything that's happened in the last year with Iowa football and stuff, we have that culture. still. we have a good culture. Um, I think, I think, just to go on with that culture, one culture that I think is really, I guess, solidified almost after a terrible losing streak is the Bears. Like, the culture has never changed. It has yeah. always been constant. And I think there was one comparison I saw on Twitter um, to Matt Nagy, because we haven't talked about the Bears in a fucking hot minute. minute. Yeah. Nagy. On the podcast. Yeah. Now, Nagy obviously gave up play calling duties to OC Bill Lazor, mm-hmm. which has helped the team drastically. Um, but something I didn't know was Mike Tomlin was originally brought into Pittsburgh to be an offensive mind as well. And he as well has given up play calling duties. Yeah. So, but why is Mike Tomlin still there? Well, he has a great culture. He knows how to manage egos and the guys buy into him. I think one thing we can all agree on is the guys have bought into Nagy. Now the defense Sure, they could get a little pissy with the offense. And a lot of people said, I don't know how this defense shares the same locker room with the offense, because for a period, there was no reason for them to. They were completely different units. I think these past three games after the six-game losing streak has reaffirmed that, A, this team hasn't quit, but B, the culture that Nagy has built is one that can sustain. He doesn't need to be hands-on calling plays all the time. He's got an all right scheme and an all right vision for what he wants this team's identity to be. He's not great at getting everything out of that scheme. He was, he is a pass first mind and you can't be a pass first mind with Mitch. You need to work off of the run game in order for Mitch to be effective. So you've seen Montgomery the past four weeks He's run, running like a guy who's homeless yep. it, it, and you see the Bears scoring 30 points in three consecutive games for the first time since fucking 1965. That That's ridiculous. Well, I think a big thing that helps the culture is, you know, you look at the Chicago bears over the last 40, 50 years, defense is the bears. And I think no matter how good our offense will be from now to 30 years from now, defense is key. It's what defines Chicago. It's just the makeup of the bears. And I think when we have a defensive guys like Akeem Hicks, Mack, Fuller, like those type of guys who define the culture themselves by playing phenomenally, um, they have a track record, just all those things. Those are the glue guys of the team where it's just like, this, you know, our defense is good. You know, I think the thing that's the key for the Bears is having a good defensive culture. I think, you know, I think they're more of a blended team now, but I think they're still kind of separate. And I think, if the defense is able to stay strong and united and keep a you know solid glued glued front, I think 
if the offense just performs like how they've been performing, the defense buys into them a little bit. And they're just like, thank you for supporting us and not making us go out there every three and out you had for six you know, straight games. So earlier this year. So thank you for giving us time on the bench to actually rest up and go after the quarterback and actually create plays because, you know, we were ready to kick your ass in the locker room for a good five straight, you know, five straight weeks. But what the thing with me is I'm still not completely bought into Mitch. Not either, and, man. You, you and think the thing I am? Is, <laughs> I know. The thing is with Mitch, like going back to the game yesterday, one thing that I loved is Mitch ran one into the end zone. And I thought one of the first touchdowns he threw to um, Jimmy Graham was a great ball where, you know, I think Mitch earlier this year would have thrown an interception on that play because it looked a little tight. But the thing with Mitch is, we talked about this early in the year that we thought Nick Foles acquisition was going to end with him not getting the fifth year option was going to put a chip on his shoulder. I think the thing that really fed into that now is nobody believed in him at this point of the year when he came back in people, you know, on Twitter talked about, Oh, the bears were three and zero with Mitch. And then they caught him like the, who knows where the bears could have been at. And, you know, they lose six straight. And then Mitch is kind of like, this is still my team. Like I can come in here it could get worse from here, but basically if, if it gets worse, I'm done anyway. So who cares? So he has nothing to lose. He gets to play with a clear mind. And I think that's good for him. Not feeling that type of pressure, but can this be sustained was my question. Like, I, I think if I he comes think into so. the starter next year and we make the playoffs just like a few years ago and keep in mind, there was the double doink and all that stuff. But like, I don't think Mitch can handle the pressure of being the quarterback of a playoff team. Because once things, you know, go down, he turns off the TVs in the locker room. Like, he's that guy. He runs away from it. And he only, like, think about it. He posted the Christmas sweater picture. He wouldn't have done that if he was sucking right now. He wouldn't have done that. No. Like, you know, guys who, you know, there are certain quarterbacks, like Baker Mayfield. When they suck, Baker's still on social media blasting everybody because he has that confidence and that belief in himself. Trubisky doesn't. Trubisky buys into the wins. He's like, I'm good this week. And when he's not good, he's like, look at what I did before. We went 3-0 and before. I'm a good quarterback. Like, please believe me. Like, I look at the – here's the thing. I don't think we beat Green Bay. I hope we do. But unless Rodgers is benched and half that team is benched, come on. Mitch is going to get bumped around and then he's going to be like, Oh shit, I can't do anything. They try to bring in Foles in the third quarter for some desperation plays. Foles gets hurt probably at the end of the third quarter of that game with like a little ankle or wrist injury or some stupid little Nick. And then we're done. And then half of the casual bears fans are going to say, Oh, we had the Packers. We should have won that game. That's how it's going to go. Yeah. I just think, that first Packer game was Lazer's first chance to work with Mitch and they looked terrible. Oh. Uh, the whole team looked bad. That that game was the first game where people were like, did this defense just quit? And now it, like the defense doesn't really look like they've quit, but I think people have, have come to the agreement that they're not like insane. They're not yeah. an insane defense. They're great at third down. They're great in the red zone, but they allow a lot of long drives. I think a part of that is on Pagano. He's a very conservative defensive mm-hmm. play caller. I mean, granted, the Bears are fourth last in the NFL in, in forcing turnovers. Fourth fourth worst. Yep. Two, well, two teams – hold on. Just 
two, oh, three okay. teams that are better than the Bears at forcing turnovers, the Eagles, the Raiders, and the fucking Jaguars. Think about that. That's insane. And we just beat the Jaguars 40 to, like, 15 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And don't even get me started on, like, Mitch being sustainable in the future. That ball he threw in the end zone yesterday to, and that got picked off. That got picked, yeah. That's Mitch. At the end of the first half. That is Mitch. Yep. Mitch, that is Mitch trying to do too much. When you put Mitch in a position to make a decision and not have the decision made for him, you're going to see bad balls. You're going to see passes that shouldn't be thrown. Mitch needs a run game to work off of. Like if Montgomery's hot and he's running for four yards, gives you second and six or whatever, you can run play action and get a 10 yard gain in the first down with Mooney or whatever. He can't go into like an empty formation read a defense, and make a throw. He just can't. That's not Mitch. And that's what Nagy wants. But ever since Nagy has sacrificed the play calling, it's been laser's vision now with Nagy's scheme. And it looks great. You see Cole Komet playing every down now. You see Jimmy Graham playing where he should. The personnel is a lot better. Shit, they had that Artavis Pierce guy come in and score a touchdown, the the undrafted guy. I mean, I'd rather see him in than Ryan Nall. So... I think it says a lot for Nagy to first, like, pull Mitch, put in Foles, think of this is my, like, fix. This is what I think will fix the team. Now, granted, the O-line needed needed some assistance. Having Rashad Coward in there was the biggest mistake the Bears have had all year. That guy is a bumbling idiot that <laughs> shouldn't play football. Um, but I think it says a lot for Nagy to – make such a drastic move, put his like his neck on the line, and then to take a step back and really eliminate himself kind of from the equation and give it to yeah. Laser when he was the one hired to be the offensive mind, to call the plays, to be the Andy Reid disciple, he gave it to Laser. And it shows that he has a feel for what this team needs. And yes, like there was that five or six game losing streak, but Everybody thought the Bears were going to get a lottery pick. Everybody. People were calling for the Bears to lose intentionally, yeah. to get a better pick, to go 5-11. and 11. Now they're 8-7, and seven, about to go 9-7 and seven and go into the playoffs. Maybe 8-8 eight and eight and make the playoffs if the Rams can beat the Cardinals or whoever. Point being, I think this Bears team is like the players that need to be doing well that are young are. They're doing well. They have some aging contracts on the team that are going to hold them back, especially with the cap being reduced because of this whole COVID shenanigan. Yeah. The, like the cap's going to be contract. reduced by like 20 or 25 million. You got Akeem Hicks, Kyle Fuller, Robert Quinn. All these guys are 30 plus. Well, Kyle's not, but nearly. They're 30 plus and you're paying them like 60 million together. You can't do that when the cap is like 170 or something. That's just not that is not feasible for a winning defense, a winning team. And yes, these are these are decisions that Pace has made. I think Nagy's job is safe. He's not the one that makes these personnel decisions. But I think Pace is going to have to face like the music and see if his job is actually going to yeah. be there next year or not. That's that's a McCaskey call. I personally would not be pissed if Pace is fired. I would not be pissed if Pace is back either. I'll say this, though. I want Nagy to pick the quarterback, not Pace. Because yes. Nagy needs his guy. I'm sorry. Like, 
in order for Nagy to effectively work, he needs his guy. And he tried to do that with Foles. He gave up a fourth. That fourth could have got us other depth in other positions. Point being, you couldn't, as a Bears fan, before this season say, Mitch is the end-all, be-all answer. When Chase Daniels no longer the backup, they needed someone else. Big play Bray, nobody wants to give him a chance. So <laughs> they went out and they got Nick Foles, who Super Bowl MVP guy can throw the ball well, and they have coaches who are familiar with Nick. And there were a lot of factors that contributed. It was good in concept. It was good in, it concept, was good in concept. And I wasn't like pissed at it, but yeah. a lot of coaches there who are familiar with Nick, Nick's familiar with the scheme. The offense just it sputtered. Nagy couldn't call run plays. They were past dom- dominant, and, and Foles was getting smoked. And the guy got murdered in that I, that Viking game, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. So I, I, I really think this Bears team is the young guys that need to be playing well are playing good, which is a great sign. But they're going to have to make some business decisions after this year on guys like Fuller, Hicks. Um, Trevathan's fucking locked up here with Quinn until yeah. they're like 80 years old, so <laughs> – we got to stick with brutal. that, but you know, you could be in a worse position. You could be in a better position. I think two things going off of what you said are to, that are important to point out are one, the bears didn't have anything to lose here where, the, you know, after that losing streak, Nagy pace, Trubisky, all of them are like, we're either going to lose that and we lose our jobs or if we win and do some damage, you know, we might be here another year or we two. We could have a conversation about if yeah. I should keep it or not. And there's going to be a debate in the city on whether we should stay or not. And if that if they can just spark the debate, that's all they need to basically try to keep their jobs because you know the McCaskies listen to the media. So yeah, I thought that I'm was sure important. George, George said he looks at the Bears as a, in a fan's perspective. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you just even look at some of the decisions they made in the past on who they've kept or like, you know, they fired Lovey after a 10 win season. I, yeah, but Lovey, Lovey was an absolute dead weight to the organization at that point. He just, they couldn't, they couldn't put an offense together. Like it was right, almost right. worse than what it is right now, which is crazy to think. I mean, it was worse under Trestman. I mean, that was the wrong. Well, Trestman was good. Job, for, but... Trestman was good for one year. I thought he was sick. <laughs> I thought okay. he was awesome. Possum. But it was a, it was but, a one hit wonder. But going back to what I was going to say too is that you have Trubisky, where you know for him it's like okay, I'm probably gonna. There's an eighty percent chance I'm not coming back here. Like, and if I come back, it's going to be on a team friendly one in one deal, one year deal, five million, you know, something cheap. Like, you know, I don't. If I ball out here. I want to. Oh, I'm finished, and then I want to finish talk about that Mitch thing real quick. What I oh, just said, go ahead and finish oh, your okay. point about Mitch because I, I want to because I was gonna say the thing with him is it's more of an audition for the next team. I think that's how he could have gone into this. Of I'm gonna ball out so I can try to get you know a decent starting job somewhere else if they'll have me. Um, I think with Matt Nagy, I think he's gonna I thought no matter what, he was gonna get at least one more year there. I thought just the 12 and 4 season and the eight and eight season last year bought him enough time to have another year. I think with pace now, because you point out something with pace. I'm indifferent kind of as of now. I think a few weeks ago I was at fire pace. I'm indifferent to it right now just because I think if you fire him and then you bring in a guy and they don't like what Matt Nagy's doing, 
it's going to rock the boat gonna of any them. any form of consistency and then yeah. it's going to just blow up the team all over again then we have bad contracts and then we're kind of screwed um but i think with pace is he should lose the right to be a talent evaluator because if you look just going over a few of the picks i mean there's mitch and everybody knows the story. we don't even have to go into that and you know i'm somebody too where i'm kind of like it's hard for him to say what i think it's easier to say what watson was going to become than mahomes just because of what my, oh, yeah. you know what ha- i mean that's just an insane story but two other picks i think are notable are the adam she Sheehan or she, you know whatever Shaheen. fuck Shaheen. that guy i i hate him um and, you know get him in the second round now if there's one guy and this has been going all over twitter recently because of what happened yesterday at his press conference is George Kittle, Iowa man, Chicago Bears diehard fan, could have been drafted. You know, we could have gotten him in the fourth, fifth round if we wanted to. He was drafted 100 picks after Shaheen. And if you think about what Kittle would have been to the city, you know, he he would have been the perfect player. Midwest, gritty guy with our history of tight ends like the Dickas and the characters. And, you know, we had Greg Olson early in his career like – he would have been the franchise guy we needed where it would have been an offensive weapon where if we're, if we were doing dealing with the earlier in the season, Allen Robinson extension stuff, it would have been like, we have Kittle. If we sign Robinson to a team friendly deal, give him a little bit of an extension. That's all we need for an offense, get a decent running back. We're good. We don't even need another wide receiver because Kittle's, you know, a number one in himself. And then, you know, we, we missed on that pick. Than this past year, I'm not saying Cole Komet's going to be a bust or anything. I think he's going to be a decent player, but we could have drafted Chase Claypool to be a number two. That's Stop. my opinion. That's my opinion. We could have gotten Chase Claypool, and we needed a wide receiver, and they missed on Claypool. Like Claypool was right there. I mean, you could say that, right but there. that's because Pace made a blunder on Miller, and now Miller's a number three, and Mooney's a number two. Onto it. Yeah. That's what I was going to add on to it. Is the Miller blunder too. And wasn't that the same draft as the Adam draft? Yeah. Oh fuck, yeah. man. <laughs> Wait, oh, wasn't man. wasn't Mitch that draft too? Wasn't it all 2017? Stop. Yeah, I'm... that draft right there. So it's just like and pace too. To me, one thing I really don't respect about pace is he's still stuck in the 2008, 2009, 2010 NFL when he was with the Saints. Because he brings back Jimmy Graham. I love Jimmy Graham when he was with the Saints. Huge Jimmy Graham fan. But Jimmy Graham, like, when we brought him in, we had plenty of tight ends already. Did we really need to put the money there? Like, I like the pick. I like it. Jimmy I, Graham has scored, like, 10 touchdowns this year. That's but, all okay. he does. Then we, did we sign him to a one-year or two-year deal? Two-year. We signed him to a two-year, but that's because the Bears, they've had, like, the past two Ted years Ginn. with Nagy. Didn't we get Ted Ginn Ted, at one point this year? Too? Ted Ginn was under a million. That was that was a sh- shitty idea. That was but, shitty. But I'm just saying between the drafting and some of the the Robert Quinn signing, awful signing. Like, I, I just don't think, you know, the Cleo Mack, here's the thing. Looking back on it, I you know, I've always, I'm happy with Cleo Mack. I'm, I have nothing against it. But in my opinion, the Raiders won that trade. If you look at who they picked, they got Jacobs. And then I forgot who they drafted last year with the pick, but they drafted somebody good. I can't remember who it was. I'll look up the details of it, but I mean. But I think the Raiders won that because, I mean, if you look. Okay, so I just briefly want to talk about one of my favorite fourth quarters of the NFL season. The last 10 minutes of that Dolphins-Raiders game was unreal. 
one of the best games of football I've seen this year by far. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that Raiders team, that's what made me think of the whole Khalil Mack thing and pace and stuff is the Raiders are like, they're not going to make the playoffs this year, but they have guys for the future that like are going to be beasts. Like with Jacobs, with Cross, like with Waller, like they have pieces there where the losses of like, okay, with Nelson, um, Aga, whatever I can't Aguilar, Aguilar, Aguilar. Um, to me, I was thinking about it. Like I was watching that game and I was like, if Amari Cooper was on that team, what would things look like? And I'm like, honestly, it wouldn't have looked any better in my opinion. Like I think Aguilar, Waller, like those guys are so good that like, I'm kind of like, did Pace make the right move? But then again, I think, you know why I think Pace did make the right move there though with Mac. And I think the Raiders won the trade, but you know why they made the right move? Is because if Pace would have had those draft picks, he would have found a way to destroy them. He would have found a way for us to draft shitty number ones. We would have drafted the co- like the Kellen Farrells of the world and like all the bullshit like number ones who don't pan out after three years, and we would have been screwed. We would have been screwed out of our future. So at least with Mac, he's brought some excitement to the team. We went twelve and four. We went eight and eight. We're gonna hopefully go nine and seven, if not eight and eight, and we still might make the playoffs. But nothing great came out of that we're not going to win a super bowl like this defense was kind of a disappointment so going to the mac trade the bears obviously traded uh 2019 first to 2021st to 2023rd and a 2019 sixth and they received khalil a 2022nd and a 2027th so that second round pick was cole commit yeah they got cole and they got khalil and then they picked a uh, the tackle from Colorado, Arlington Hambright, sickest name ever. Uh, they picked him in the seventh. And then what the Raiders did with those picks is they picked Jacobs with our first round in 2019. And then this past year, they picked Damon Arnett, the corner out of Ohio State, which is a huge stretch. So that one is kind of questionable. The 2023rd round is Brian Edwards, a receiver from, I think, South Carolina. He's still yet to really even play this year. And then the 2019 sixth round pick, Bless Swan Austin, that got traded to the Jets. So they didn't even have that pick anymore. But I look at the draft that Jacobs was taken in. And thinking back to last year, not this past draft, but last year's, what would you say would be like one of the biggest needs for the Bears? Because I'm looking at like who we could have taken. Well, I don't wait. So, who was available? Because I don't have that list in front of me. So, like when when I think of what the Bears needed in last year's draft, I would say, I mean, you could be, you could say O line, you could say receiver. Oh, I would have. Yeah, I was gonna say O line. Okay, so let's let's say O line. So they miss on Jawan Taylor, the tackle for the. Jaguars they miss on Greg Little tackle for the uh, Panthers Cody Ford tackle for the Bills who's actually very good he's bumped in the guard Um, Eric McCoy the center from the Saints who would not be a bad pick but they had already have white hair and Daniels white hair by the way needs to play guard the guy cannot play center I know Um, but there were guys who they missed that they could have taken I'm not 
I'm not thrilled with what they missed in this draft. Like I'm looking at it. There's guys who were great. Now there is one, there is one that I wish they could have gotten. He got drafted by green Bay in the second Elkton Jenkins. That guy has played every position on their O-line and is going to make a trillion dollars when his rookie deal is up. That guy is unreal, and I wish he was a Chicago Bear. So I guess I could say. He's the Taysom Hill of the O-line. Yeah, literally. Like, the guy can play. Utility guy. The guy can play anywhere. So now I go to next year's draft, or this past year. um, Damon Arnett, he was picked at 19. What would you say the Bears needed this past draft? Again, O-line. O-line, receiver. wide receiver. Okay, great. So we're on the same page, O-line receiver. So Arnett went 19. We missed Justin Jefferson. Yep. Brandon Ayuk. Jordan Love. Jordan Love. Um, Isaiah Wilson, the guy at Tennessee. T. Higgins, Michael Pittman. Robert awesome. Hunt, who's not great. Um, Claypool. Claypool won a pick before Jalen, so whatever. Um, Antoine Winfield, people, a lot of Bears fans wanted Antoine Winfield. Like, they wanted, like, water, which, okay. But I don't think think drafting Antoine would have been good for the team. I think he he needs to play free safety, and Eddie should not be playing strong safety like he does sometimes. So I don't think that pick would have helped. But point being – The Justin Jefferson pick, though. That would have that, that would have been that gives us the number crucial. two we needed. That's right. Like, uh, you could get rid of A Rob. You could get yeah. rid of A Rob comfortably if you have Jefferson. Same way the, the Vikings I, I did would, it with Diggs. The they way got I was going yeah. The the bigger comparison I was gonna make was like Juju with A B. Like they could lose A B because of the fact that Juju was just gonna be so good. Just well, that's such like a what stud. the Vikings did with Diggs. Yeah. They they dropped yeah. Diggs. Get like three picks and they take Justin right, Jefferson who's right. had a better year and than we, Randy Moss. And we could have pulled a two at least a second round pick for sure for A-Rob, maybe a first. Yeah, I I'm surprised also that I mean I guess maybe they might franchise tag A-Rob, but you'd think that they might have wanted to get value for him if he's not going to be back on the team, but but what I've dictated from this part of the conversation today is the fact that we could run the Bears better than Pace. Oh, I think that's a fact. I don't think anybody would dispute that. I think I Ryan I think Ryan Pace's degree from Eastern Illinois is in like business marketing or some stupid yeah. shit. I'll actually look it up. It, it it is nothing football related. Now, not to say my degree is, but I am also <laughs> double majoring in sports studies, so suck yeah. it, Ryan. We are we are we are well versed in sports. <laughs> What did he get his degree in? He got his degree in uh, marketing. Marketing. Like, what, what, what are we talking about, Ryan? You're not running a team with a marketing degree. You know what? We should put him in the business ops side of the Bears. Maybe he can do a little. You know what? Maybe he can work with Brian Urlacher on some more, on some more um, billboard campaigns throughout the city on how to grow your hair. I don't know. I think Urlacher's got better hair than so. Pace. Honestly, probably. <laughs> like, actually, I, I, Brian Pace always has the same slick back, stupid, yeah. looks like a wig type he's like of a, he's, he's like a slimy stockbroker. He is like That's a slimy, like. villainous stockbroker who just yeah. can't be wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is such a – and it's so fitting that he's a marketing major, too. 
he would be he would be the type of guy that watches Mad Men and thinks, oh, I should have been born 40, 50 years earlier. <laughs> Definitely. I should I should have been John Hamm. Sitting <laughs> next to his wife and he's like, that could have been me. That could have been me. That could have been me. Steph Stephanie is her name. Stephanie. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie, that could have been me. It could have been I could have been John Hamm selling cigarettes in the 50s in New York. And then he's like, oh, hold on. I got to pause Mad Men for a second. I got a call from Robert Quinn's agent. I think I'm going to make an amazing signing for the Bears. Honey, you this have is just... no idea how great this tight end out of Ashland University is. They call him oh, Baby Gronk. God. Baby Gronk. Yeah. It's going to be phenomenal. There's like no tape on him. So we know he's going to be great. Speaking of Shaheen, he signed an extension with the Dolphins. With the Dolphins, it was yeah. Like three years, $9 million or $10 million, whatever. And I and I think like okay they're valuing Shaheen at nine million, which is a gross overvaluation. Yeah. And you look at what the Niners are valuing Kittle at, how much I he know. got paid, and just think about like just remember that little conversation we just had of like where they were picked and how many picks there were in between. Like, how do you not take a tight end from Iowa that likes the Bears? Well, you know what, <laughs> I I have a great. Going off of that stock comparison, Pace should maybe actually take a little trip in the offseason to Wall Street, like how Tom Thibodeau, like, you know, goes to coaches like around the league. Like when he gets fired from somewhere, he takes like a year sabbatical and goes to like the Warriors, oh, Boston. Yeah. Kind of like Do- what Mike, Mike McCarthy Rivers. did. He took a couple of years yeah. off to like look at yeah, his yeah, scheme. Yeah. But what Pace should do is learn from a stockbroker or maybe meet with like Billy Bean or something on how to evaluate players and look at them like stocks because that's what the draft is. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Like draft picks are they are assets. They are they are valued at a premium in where they are in the draft. First rounders are worth 10 plus mil. Second rounders are worth four plus mil, whatever it is. Point being like there's a premium stock you place into that first round pick. And if you miss on a guy like Kevin White in your 2015 you pay first for pick, it for like five years, you miss on a longer. guy like Mitch and you want to maximize that window with a rookie. That's a 10 year loss. That's a fuck up. Like that's a major, you can't come back from, from missing on a quarterback like that yep. and expect to be like competent as a team. If he isn't competent. So he has missed a ton of bad, like, premium stock option picks but he has also really made his money back on later round picks like eddie yeah like balil or balal whatever the guy the guy can draft late we just can't let him draft in the first three i know he should bring in his financial advisor nfl advisor like bring hire bill poley into draft one through three and then let ryan or you know what you know what's a great comparison it's like the nfl like how roger goodell only does the first round of the draft and then he lets or not actually never mind that's a bad one nba draft yeah where the commissioner does the first round and then um second round goes to the deputy commit commissioner and he runs it perfectly like he yeah. executes it gets it done I have no complaints about the second round of the NBA draft. I mean, like, get Ryan Pates to do something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what fixes Ryan Pace. But it's a lot better than being a Browns fan. Yeah. We can always well, say that. Okay, so now going transitioning to the Bulls, because talk about bad. You talk about Bears, Brown, whatever. Bears, Let's Browns, talk about Bulls. Triple Bs. The Bulls. 
are just like they lost to a Warrior team or going into that game. Steph Curry made like five threes this season. Like he, Is he Steph was Curry awful. even good at basketball anymore? Well, his numbers from last night, he was put up like thirty, but he sucked during the game. He missed a ton of shots. I feel like but I've, I, I, I think it's because it's name. I think it's because his head's not shaved. To be honest with you, like he had the he has too much braids hair. for a little bit. Like yeah. yeah, it's just like not Steph. I think Sam, it's like bringing down. He had thirty six like, points last night. Oh my god. Yeah, I said he had thirty six, but he missed a lot of shots. I think. Yeah, he did. He went eleven for twenty five. Yeah, yeah. five was, for fifteen. Yeah. From three. That's what I'm saying. Is All it right. looks like he did better than he actually was. He had, he had two blocks. But, That's pretty sweet. And keep in mind too, like he has nobody who can actually like shoot around and there's oh andrew wiggins God. and oh but, and kelly Ubre's oh for yeah 35 without wiggins and Ubre have been awful dude Ubre and can't so, make a shot if it's not a dunk yeah well so you want to hear a crazy stat before we go into the bulls loss this is the first game since 2017 with wade butler rondo and nicola miritich who have scored 20 points in the game four bulls players have scored 20 points in the game 20 plus so we have zach levine putting up 33 lowry putting up 23 wendell carter putting up 22 colby white putting up 20 so those four guys did their job from that standpoint like wendell carter made a few threes that game at least yeah he made he made a corner three three. yeah which i loved i loved that and that's how you play basketball in 2020 but you have guys that score 20 plus points and you can't pull out a win. Like they were up 121 to 112 with three minutes left in the game. But with 54 seconds in the game, they were up 126 to 121, five point margin, five seconds left in the game. They were up 128 to 126. So they had the lead with five seconds left, even though it was a two point deficit. Then they play, in my opinion, they played great D here for, for, a second of the of that five seconds. They had Curry covered, they had Ubre covered, but guess who comes through for the game winning three? Damian Lee. Who lets Damian Lee make a game winning three? I wouldn't like, even how? expect him to make it. I don't even know, man. Like how? Like you know what? Just just like do a little like step or something just to intimidate him. There was nothing. He just gets the ball, feeds it, pops it up, and then we have one second left in the game. You know who shoots a full court pass and misses it terribly? Thomas um scar scar whatever or Sar, you know I don't want to hear Sadaransky. any jibber jabber yes. about Sadaransky. I like him. I like him it's a lot. Like, <laughs> what's tough for Billy Donovan is he hasn't had the time to really feel out this team and figure no. out everybody's role. He was so thrown into I, a I, fucking I, dumpster fire. Yeah. <laughs> and and I can't criticize the Bulls too much because I have a lot of respect for Donovan too. But it's just like I feel like we're on repeat with the Bulls like last year. Last year we talked a lot about how the Bulls will lose games that they were in the lead or super close and lose in the final minutes. The Bulls were up 121 to 112 with three minutes left. Just seal the game. Yeah. Like if you need, if hold you the need ball Zach for Levine the whole to shot hold clock. the ball, yeah. let, let Zach Levine, Zach Levine was making a step back threes last night. It was wonderful. Just let Zach Levine dribble it out, take a step back. If he makes it, he makes it. If he misses it, he misses it, whatever. But it runs time off the clock. Like, Come on. And they were wearing, too. They were wearing the Chicago theater jerseys. Yeah. They were wearing the city jerseys. Like, they were looking fly. They were ready for that first win. And, what? Ha- and like, Zach Levine, dude, here's the thing. I don't consider – I think this season is the year that Zach Levine can possibly convince me he's an all-star player because right now I just put him on the list of 
the whole very good of the current NBA players because he's on such a bad team. But he looked like Devin Booker. He looked like the Bulls version of Devin yeah. Booker. He's a cheat man, Devin Booker. That's the way I like it. That's a him. very good way of putting it. And he like the thing to me is it looked like too De- um not Devin Booker that um Zach Levine looked bigger too. Like he he has a bigger build because he was driving in, dunking, like making plays in the paint that were just so aggressive and tough. Like he could run through a brick wall, which I loved. Like he has that mentality. Wendell Carter looked decent to me. Lori Markin was making his shots, but let's just see how consistent he can be this year because he's so up and down. And Colby White, I love Colby White. I think he's going to be a guy for us. I just think he needs time to develop. He, you know, he was a one and done guy in North Carolina. Like, you know, wasn't too, you know, it wasn't a great North Carolina team. So I think with him, I think Billy Donovan's going to get him to where he needs to be in the next year or two. But I think Zach Levine could get us to an eighth spot. I think he could get us to an eighth seed if he scores the way he scored. What do you think night. about the rookie, Williams? He played decent too. He, well, I think take take the take the game out just in general of like what you've seen, the pick in itself, all of that. Because a lot of people when that pick came, they were they all were mad. all freaking out yeah. and. I just did like, I like, a little I like preliminary him. research, just doing my due diligence. The guy was like the second youngest kid in the draft. Yep. He was sixth man in the year on the deep Florida State team that was fucking good. And the guy is he's an he's a savage on the court, it seems. Like he can just do it all. Yeah, I, I like him. And part of it too, though, is I have such a renewed trust for this front office that they're going to do something to make this team a contender again. Like I have oh, 2008 Bulls vibes coming back just because I feel like they're going to be in the next year or two playing the true foundation of this team. We have young talent. Lori Markkinen's a guy where if we don't resign him, it didn't work out because of the time he was there. But if we can get him back for another year or two, see what this core could really do. But I feel like if they had to blow it up, I think it's easier to blow it up because we could keep Levine. We could keep Kobe white. We can keep Carter, get rid of a few of the other guys around them and Patrick Williams, keep him. And then I think what's going to happen is next year, this year, the free agency class won't be very good. I think in the next year or two, if we can get a, get a guy with like one year left on his deal or is a free agent, that's an all-star or close to it, like a Beal type of guy. I think this seems, you know, a contender in the East. Like, I think we have a shot. I trust this. Um, front office I think the way they scout is going to be really good I think the guy that they draft in the second round from Mondova or whatever random oh, European yeah, country, seven foot animal or whatever I like him I really like him yeah. he's gonna be a piece he's gonna be a guy and the thing is what the Bulls teams did 10 years ago was they scouted Europe and they got guys like Miritich and some of those talents from overseas and they were great for us I think if this staff can do it and pick those gems out, like what they did in Denver, get the Michael Porter at 14, and then he becomes an all-star once he's healthy. Like, I like it. I like what the Bulls are doing. I think the Billy Donovan hire is a good hire because I think he wasn't the type of coach that could, you know, he had the credibility to get the respect of Westbrook, Katie, Paul George, Carmelo because of what he did at Florida. But I think when you're coming in, he already he coached those guys. So all these young guys are like, oh shit, he coached KD and Westbrook. Like we respect him. But on top of that, he's a national, he knows how to work with young players because of what he did at Florida. He coached 
the Horfords, the Noahs, like he 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 knows what to do. He's the yeah. teacher that we need. He's not going to be the you know strict Putin type of coach that um that Jim was that Boylan was, and he's not going to be the Fred Hoiberg of, guys, let's watch SpongeBob in the locker room, and this is going to be a fun team, Pal Gasol. You know, this is going to be, we're going to all go, we're going to go camping this weekend. We're going to hit, you know, Lake Geneva. Like, this is going to be just such a fun team. Like, you know, what I did in the cornfields at Iowa State is going to work in the city of Chicago. Um, I think he's going to bring a real balanced mindset to the team between the vets and the young guys with Thaddeus Young I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be important as a leader I think one guy that they just needed the guy I'm ready to throw a party over is when Felicio's contract is up oh dude I'll I'll, I'll, I'll drive him to the airport I don't know I know I'll send him back to Brazil personally I'll buy his first class (laughs) ticket back (laughs) yeah no that guy has no business on the court but I just um just (laughs) just for my own damn trouble i decided to look up the past couple uh drafts for the bulls and just look at who they've taken and patrick williams colby white well hold on let's just get the 2017 the 16th pick they took justin Patton from okay that guy has played nine nba games nine yeah they took jordan bell like fucking 30 picks later and that guy has been miles better than justin Patton. yep like you go a year before that number 14 which is the end of the lottery people forget denzel valentine Valentine. what the fuck player of the year what the fuck all right but hey denzel here's my one thing with denzel is i don't think we should have you know gotten him as a lottery pick but at least denzel has been a bull for a long period of time yeah. and he actually plays i guess like he's played like like when we had like wade and butler and those guys denzel made some had some big games for us he pulled through some games him and jeremy grant like as bad as they are or not jeremy grant jaron grant the so many grants the, the point guard from notre dame um like a least that they had an impact on the floor compared to like justin Patton, who played nine games that's the one positive i can take from them but um, and I actually saw Denzel Valentine play at Drew League in LA um, like three summers ago. Did he look good? I mean, it was funny because Valentine like sucked a high school kid that was like torching him. I forgot oh. who I. It might have been Eli Scott actually. Oh, might have been Denzel. Eli Scott. Denzel yeah, was like, "There torched. goes my contract." <laughs> yeah, he got torched. It was so funny, and like Demar, and it was crazy because when we were there. DeMar DeRozan showed up and it was two days after he got traded to San Antonio. So him and Rudy Gay came through and, you know, he's from Compton. So everybody was just like, DeMar, like, how are you feeling about like leaving? Like, and he's just like stunned. He's like, I can't, like, you could tell, like, he was just pissed at Toronto. Like he didn't talk to anybody. Like he high-fived every, like we were saying courtside and like he high-fived us and stuff, but did not want to chat with anybody. And then, like, another guy was there. Um, Jason Williams was sitting courtside. We go over to Jason Williams, and my brother wants to get his autograph, picture, whatever. Jason Williams like, yeah, one minute, sure. Like, I'm totally down. We're like, oh, sweet. Blows everybody off. Just was a jerk. Another guy that was a jerk, Isaiah Thomas. Not the Hall of Famer. The hip, Short the shit. hip injury, yeah, riddled, 
shitty person. Can't ride a roller Isaiah coaster Thomas. looking ass. Yeah. Awful guy, dude. This is the cockiest short guy you've ever met in your life. Like he's got, li- he's got little man syndrome. He's just got yeah. little man yeah. syndrome. And he's like, he it's so funny because nobody asked him for an autograph, and these three little eight-year-olds went up to him and they're like, Hey, can we get a picture? And he's like, sorry. And then he has like his security guard with him. Like, you know, DeMar didn't have security, let alone this guy. And he's like, Oh, no, 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 I don't take pictures. Like he's on the phone acting like he's a big shot. And we're like, you realize the LA Lakers cut you after the season, right? Like they did not, you were a salary cap guy. Like you were irrelevant. Like nobody cares about you, IT. But um, yeah, dude, it's just, yeah, that's my rant. I will, I will say this, at least for the Bulls being bad, there is no expectation for them. Like right. you, they can be bad, but you just named like the four guys that scored twenty: Kobe, Levine, Lowry, Wendell. Those guys are pieces. And one thing I wanted to touch on with Wendell really quickly was there were rumors about Wendell and and like number four getting traded for Wiseman, essentially the number two pick, I think it was. And I was like kind of warming up to that because Wendell's iffy. But I watched Wiseman last night, and he – I mean, granted, he's like 19, so who am I to judge a 19-year-old in I love NBA James game? Wiseman. But I like, love James Wiseman. He looks like – Oh, he's legit. He looks raw, but he looks like he's going to be an all-star in like he's three legit. years. He's legit. And I'm like, if that trade was an Dude. actual thing, and you are the Bulls, and there's literally nothing to lose, the expectations are null and void – why don't you just pull the trigger on that Carter trade, man? Just get Wiseman. Just keep bolstering that team. Granted, you don't get Patrick Williams, but like you can get James Wiseman. That's pretty, no. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guy I wish we could have gone was Lamo Ball. I love Lamo oh, Ball. Oh, yeah. But then and we would have like five guards on the court at once, Sam. We would well, like I would have traded Kobe White. I would have traded Kobe White. Really? For, yeah, for like a role player for Lamelo, dude. The way he passes the playmaking. You would like, trade yes, Kobe before gonna... Levine? Yeah, because the way I look at it is Levine could run the floor with Mello. Well, Levine would have to play the two. Yeah, but he'd run the floor. Like, it would be beautiful because Lamello could do the full court passes, like the alley-oops, lobs to Levine. Levine, you know, Lamello could drive yeah, in and he's 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, he could drive into the paint pass it out to Levine for a step back three. Like, I think it would have been such an offense opener type of thing. And then you have Wendell Carter who can shoot too. So you could have him at the three-point line and space the floor. I agree. I agree. Yeah. That's um, actually a good point. Thank you. Um, and now I think we should discuss two of our favorite segments we've been looking forward to to wrap up the pod today. Mm-hmm. Um, let's Let's jump into the trivia first, and then we can – let's jump into the trivia i've been waiting for this all podcast so my first trivia question because i have i have a couple in case you get this one because i mean in my circle it's a well-known thing i've known this since i was like five years old what other team has retired michael jordan's number the heat yeah yeah okay fuck yeah i didn't know if you'd get it or not but it's isn't it it because uh uh who's the owner what's his name mickey arison no, not him. GM. You mean the owner, 
Oh, the gym. Pat Riley. Pat Riley respects him so much. I'm pretty sure that he retired. Well, they right? were trying to start a movement at the time oh, to retire <laughs> nice, his number, to retire his number throughout the entire NBA, and that <laughs> Wait, did not do, happen. Do the Wizards even have it retired? No, no. They hate Michael Jordan. He destroyed that team. Oh man, that so, makes yeah. it funny. Oh, that's uh, yeah, funny. it's great. And then, so then my other two, these are Bears records. I want to see if you know who holds them. And you got to keep your hands up. I don't want you searching. Okay. Um, who has the most two-point conversions in Bears history? What Fuck. player? Fuck. This one surprised me. Like, Okay. Can I ask a question on that? Sure, sure. So obviously, like quarterbacks, like do they do they count? No, it's not a quarterback. All right, because that was my player. thing. All right. Um, it has That's to be the like only Tariq Cohen. No, Matt Forte. Oh, that was my other guess. I just and, think Tariq was so <laughs> dynamic that maybe he could be. And then another one. This one surprised me. Who has the most fumbles in Bears history? This surprised me, but it didn't. I want to say Mitch so bad. What's your guess? It's either Mitch or Jay. Mitch. No. It is the GOAT, Walter Payton. Oh, all right, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, it surprised me, but it didn't, right? Because you would think, oh, it's Walter Payton. Like, he, does, you know, it's the best player in Bears history. Yeah. But then, now at I the remember same how, time, he, how he carried so the long. ball. He carried the ball like fucking a loaf of bread. Didn't matter. Yeah. I thought right. that was a good one. There is literally no way you get my trivia. If it's White Sox, I won't get it. It's not. Oh, okay. In which country did the Caesar salad originate? Oh, I I didn't know we were just doing any trivia. Uh, I thought it was sports. I, I, nah, I just fucking left it up, man. <laughs> oh, I love that. Wait, which dude? I actually heard this before. Oh, wasn't it like Mexico or something? I thought it was something yes! like. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, so the story is it was created in Tijuana at yeah. a restaurant named Caesars in. 1924 supplies ran low due to american tourists so the kitchen put together a salad with random ingredients which included romaine lettuce garlic croutons egg parmesan olive oil and worcestershire sauce let's go i didn't think you were gonna get that that i learned that (laughs) that's insane i i swear i thought i heard that before wow i'm actually impressed with that Thank you. That's a clip. Yeah, that was, dude. I'm. I don't know. I'm gonna go ask my family that one after this and text my friends. I don't think anybody knows that one. You know what? Well, even though this is gonna be heard already, probably we can make a poll on IG and Twitter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You could see. Yeah. yeah we could do that. We can All do right, that with our what, trivia stuff. What's our next segment? And our final segment today is favorite player interactions that we've had or autograph stories best autographs all right so i'm gonna go 
I'm gonna go off off the record of what I told you. I'm gonna think of one off the top of my head. Um, you want me to go first while you're thinking? Yeah, you go, you, wanna... okay. you go first. You okay, go first. Okay, so I'm gonna do a short, like two short ones, and then I'm gonna give you the long one I told you. So one of my p- favorite player interactions is, um, I call this like the ultimate weekend because I went on a school trip for this state DECA competition. If you know what DECA is, it's like a marketing club. I was I was a champion sports marketing, one state, went to international competition, big, you know, big champ right there. Um, Not a big and, and so we got to stay like on the Disney properties in Orlando. And we went in March, so it's in the middle of spring training for the Braves. And at the same weekend too, Mike and Mike was hosting a show in downtown Disney. Oh, yeah, you so, talked about this last show. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So in downtown Disney, one of the guys that was at the live show was Chris Carter. Oh, So wow. I forgot my pass. So I went to the show. I woke up at, like, 5 a.m., met, like, Frank Colliando, Mark Slareth, like, a bunch of people. But then what happened was I went back to the hotel, forgot my DECA, like, pass to get into the competition. That was in an hour. So in my suit, I had to run across the street, run back to where they were recording the show. And – Right, one guy that was finishing up his segment was Chris Carter, Hall of Fame wide receiver. And I picked up the pass and I almost trucked him because I wasn't paying attention. I almost <laughs> just completely bumped him. And so Chris Carter um says something to me and he's he's like, Whoa, you almost took me out or something. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, honestly, no, I tried joking with him. I, I'm still shocked I had the confidence to say this. I was like, Honestly, no offense, but I wouldn't have felt that bad about it because you played for the Vikings. And I started talking like Bears Vikings smack talk with him. And he's just like, you guys are going to suck next year. He's like, I can't wait for the Vikings to just beat you guys in Minnesota and in um, Chicago. And I think at the time was when they were still playing at the Gophers Stadium in the midst of the stadium build. So he's like, even at a college stadium, we're going to whoop your ass. Like, he's just giving it to me. And so we're chatting back and forth for, like, a good five, ten minutes. And people are just watching us and, like, taking pictures of him and stuff in the midst of the conversation. And so then what happens is he's, like, basically saying to me, like, are you going to stick around or whatever? Like, he basically just wanted to talk to me a little after the show, too, because he had to go on stage. And I had to go to my competition. It was the worst moment of my life. I'm like, I'm like, honestly, no, I got to dip out. And he's like, well, if you're able to come back in time by the end of the show, like, you know, I'd love to chat with you. And because they had like an hour and a half left. And I literally, after the competition, hustle back. And you just see them packing up everything from set. And I was just like, fuck, I could have like, you know, hung out with Chris Carter. And then later that day, I had to go to the Braves Tigers spring training game. So the thing about that stadium is the whole third baseline is all grass. So it's the cheapest part. So every year when we went, I always just got that because you could go all the way to the foul, like mm-hmm. to the foul line, basically. And the bullpen was right behind the third baseline. So you had access to the bullpen, too. So what happens is Verlander's going down the line, like signing autographs. I stop him for a minute and I'm just like, hey, like I'm interested in sports and stuff. I've always wanted to ask you about like your MVP season. Like, what was that like? Like, what was it like playing in the World Series? Talk for like 20 minutes and he's just breaking down like players that sucked like that like guys he struck out like some of his favorite guys he struck out all that stuff that was a highlight give me two names two names oh i'm trying to remember one of them was a guy oh one of them i think was pedroia i think that was one of his favorite guys especially because at that time it was just when pedroia started to get hurt and stuff but he was still elite 
and then the other guy played. He played for an NL team. I can't remember. I can't believe I can't remember. Kosuke Fukudome. I wish. <laughs> when he wasn't with the Cubs, but um, my two favorite autographs, and I have to say both because they're just such good stories. Is one of them is so you know I I I know somebody with you know I have a relative who works for the Marlins, and my summer going into my freshman year. I was supposed to go to sleepaway camp and I couldn't, there were some things that happened. I wasn't able to go. My brother still went, but I had to stay back. And I was like super bummed. Like my whole family knew I was like bummed out. I couldn't go see all my like friends from up North, all that stuff. So my one day a package comes, and I was just chilling on the couch and I go to answer the door and I see it's a package for me and it's labeled from the Miami Marlins. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And it's like, you know, I can show you, I can send you a picture of the box and I open it up. I tear it up. I'm like, what the hell is this? John Carlos Stanton personalized autograph bat. That's sick. Oh, yeah. shit. Oh. Yeah, so that was a cool one. It was like to Sammy and everything. So that was a cool surprise. And then I called my uncle. And he's like, yeah, I just thought, you know, since you couldn't go to camp and stuff, that, you know, this would like cheer you up or whatever. I'm like, thanks. This is dope. And then, you know, two years later, he's the MVP. So now it's worth way more than it would have been before. Yeah. But, um, all-time favorite story is 2015 Cubs are on the rise. We still have Starlin Castro. We have John Lester, Jake Arrieta, KB's in the majors. All them bad boys are up. Addison Russell, Javi wasn't there yet, but that's okay. And so what happens is we went to Cleveland to go to like the rock and roll hall of fame and stuff. And we timed it where we could go when the Cubs were in town against the Indians year before the world series, wish we won world series. But the day before the Warriors won their first NBA championship against Cleveland, they stayed in our hotel. So the whole hotel was themed warriors and we missed them by like three hours. They partied in the hotel all night because they, there's nowhere else to go in Cleveland. So they partied all night. If we would have checked in five hours earlier, they were like literally giving guests like champagne bottles and stuff in the lobby. Like that's what the night was that we missed out on. So what happened was we checked in and we started talking to this guy in like the lounge of the hotel and he, his name's Cedric, and he's like a suit designer. Like he makes custom suits for the players. So he was like, Oh, John Lester just texted me. He's like, he made like custom suits for KB. Like he made Rizzo's wedding suit, like everything. And he's made suits for Deion Sanders, Michael Jordan, like every big athlete in the business. He's like, Oh, I'm going down to meet Lester right now. You want to come with me? And we're like, Sure. This is after they like blew out the Indians by like 15 runs. So we go down meet lester we think that's sick all right we're like we're hyped about that arietta comes a little later and the whole team just starts coming in and we're the only fans there and there starts to be a line outside the hotel but since we we stayed in the hotel we were allowed to get autographs we were the only ones allowed so we get like a bunch of autographs joe madden starling castro you name the guy we got him then what happens is the next day we run to david ross in the lobby meet david ross we meet like edwin jackson like we were we were in the elevator with him my brother's like giving them shit like what's it like traveling to like eight different teams at that time so that was like by far like the best like whenever as a cubs fan i mean when you get to meet players who won the greatest world series championship of all time i mean that has to be the top of the list yeah greatest all time my ass you'll see the greatest one when the Sox win this year oh okay so one of my one of my favorite interactions was when I was like, I was six or seven. I was really young, and it was when I was living in Ames, and 
every year in the state of Iowa, they had the Shrine Bowl where all the best players in the state would play. And that year they were playing at um, they were playing at Jack Trice instead of the UNI Dome like they do now. And I was sitting in the stands with my dad watching it and whatnot. And obviously, like, I wasn't, like, totally into football, but, like, I was just watching it, like, loving yeah. it, whatever. And there was this play downfield, whatever, and um, I think the DB might have played a little too aggressive, and I spoke my mind. And mm-hmm. uh, turns out the guy, older man next to me kind of, like, challenged my assumption of the play and like how I saw it the PI call that I thought there was well uh, he and I kind of go back and forth and he's just playfully toying with me and whatnot and um, he gets up and walks away they go sit somewhere else I don't know I don't maybe have left but (laughs) I find out that that was Kirk Ferentz that I was jabbing with And I had no fucking clue who Kirk Ferentz was at the time. Like, I'm just, like, an import to the state of Iowa. Like, I got no clue. So I was jabbing with Kirk Ferentz in the stands when I was, like, seven. And I thought that was pretty damn cool. So he's still now the coach at Iowa. I was like, it's pretty damn cool. Um, But the other one, the other one was when I was, uh, it was a couple years after that. And it was at um, Jack Trice, or not Jack Trice, Hilton Coliseum. And it was when Harrison Barnes and Doug McDermott were on the same team. They were playing on ESPN against um, Waukegan. And they, they beat the piss out of Waukegan on national TV. And I was like two rows from the court. It was so cool. And like, I if I could ever find that broadcast again, my buddy and I, because the jumbotron had the espn feed oh that, and so cool. you, you you could tell like what was going on and if you, i was jumping up and down and you could see me at the bottom of the screen like jumping up and down so after the game um i'm waiting outside the locker room with a basketball fresh well, i don't even know if spalding wilson i don't even i don't even know i have a basketball in its little cardboard box thingies casing and I have a sharpie and I wait for Harrison Barnes who was like 18 at the time to come out and he was the number one recruit in the country and he comes out and he signs the ball and I was like dude that's so sick like I was talking with him and Harrison was an absolute stud well fast forward like a week or so later he commits to North Carolina everything keeps going forward he's lottery pick he is probably the most famous person to come out of Ames not named Fred Hoiberg and when I was like nine I had the opportunity to like get his autograph when he before he was even famous and like the guy is making he's made like 130 million dollars in the NBA his his agent deserves a raise for getting him (laughs) that much money um but the other, the other thing I, I alluded to Doug being on the team too. I lived in the same neighborhood as the McDermott's. And if you would have told me that like Doug McDermott was going to be one of the greatest college basketball scorers ever, I'd color you crazy. Cause the guy was not very good in high school. Like he, he progressed very much like Luca has in college to where mm-hmm. he, 
wasn't great at the beginning, but he worked to be really good. And he had this basketball court and it would face the woods and it was so cool. Had a black top in his backyard and everything. And at the time, his dad was the coach of Iowa State. And you would drive by the house, and I don't know if Doug's got brothers. He might. I don't know. But you would just see him out shooting, just shooting casually. And I didn't make anything of it. I was just like, oh, that's just an Ames high kid. That's just Doug McDermott, whatever. He's on the team with Harrison. Little do I know that both of them are going to be like NBA players. Lottery picks. Doug, yeah, both of them are going to be lottery picks. <laughs> exactly. That's so, crazy. Just to be in the state of Iowa where sports are not exactly like the flagship thing that Iowa is known for. And you, you kind of grow up with Doug McDermott and Harrison Barnes. It's like that was pretty that was pretty cool for me to experience. I mean, very small world in Ames, Iowa. Not a whole lot of success from Iowa State, but Doug McDermott and Harrison Barnes were I'll, they were my success for a while, and it was really cool to have that. But uh, do we have anything else that we got to cover, Sam? Or no, we're this good. This has been a fucking fat pod. Yeah, this has been a long one, but it's long overdue. We haven't done yeah. a sports talk one since early this September, probably. Yeah, no, September, we need- October. So we we need to get a lot of stuff off our chest. I was about to say we needed to exercise a lot of these demons fighting us inside. So. Yeah, um, and you guys will get some shorter ones of us doing this stuff yeah. throughout the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. This is this is going to be the anomaly. We just we had to recap everything. Yeah. But our bread and butter. Yeah, oh yeah. But to reiterate what Sam said at the beginning of this podcast, if you haven't already, go ahead and download Good Pods and follow Sam and I on our accounts to see what we're listening to as well as an opportunity to find other podcasts. Um, I get a newsletter every couple of days from good pods and they give me podcasts. They picked out for me, listen to a couple of them. Not going to lie. It's pretty cool to have podcasts that are picked out for you. So definitely go give it a try and download it. Let us know what you think as always, not the same time, same place. We will see you guys later.